Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR. My name's Trevor, and my co-host today is Meg. How y'all doing? And uh, Meg, we have a special guest today. We do. We have the pleasure of having in the studios a bat researcher and animal activist, Devita Coronel, <laughs> who has been on the show before and uh, has some really cool information about bats that we're going to uh, talk to you about uh, shortly. Um, But what we want to do right now is we just want to talk about some recent news in um, animal animal activist circles. Before we do, there's another guest we have in the studio. Oh, oh, (laughs) how could we forget? Absolutely. We we actually have a non-human host today. We have Rescue Casper, who is um, just hanging around and uh, will provide company and perhaps maybe some barks. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that, uh, that, I'm sure that will be his. uh, He is anxiously staring at the door right now. That's right. So (laughs) if you do hear something, it's just Casper having a bit of a wander because uh, he's got to be real patient, poor thing. Oh yeah, we have to be patient with him as well at home if we'd leave him at home right now he'd be digging through the carpet so exactly so this is a better option yes. we also uh, you can't see them but we do have numerous treats uh, across the studio for him just <laughs> for to him keep to entertained. Yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay so yes um so we want to just go on to before we actually get into um what we're going to be talking about today we want to talk about uh some recent news uh that has happened some quite disappointing news so the victorian government has approved duck hunting for the next duck hunting season, which mm. uh, he yeah. is, uh, despite from what we can see, I haven't actually read the report, but it seems to be from the uh, news that I'm beginning, despite the actual um, outcome of uh, submissions that were put in uh, for and against duck shooting. So um, there were quite a number of submissions against duck shooting from ecologists, from animal rights activists, from politicians, yeah. from other scientists. Mm. I've put one in yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I did too, yeah. absolutely. And, um, you know, we, we do want to emphasise that the decision, I mean, in my opinion, the decision that was made and in a lot of people's opinion, the decision that was made was simply for the humans, the duck hunters. This has got nothing to do with conservation. It's got nothing to do with population control. It's got nothing to do with anything that benefits the ducks. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and it was made against the advisement of a huge number of submissions. And so it's really disappointing. Um, you know, we do urge you, we know that the, the duck season is going to go ahead this year, but we still do urge you to talk to your politicians, to talk to, um, you know, whoever you can about, this issue and say look it's going ahead this season but 
it's still in question as it as to whether it's going to continue. It's still a very contentious mm. issue. So yeah. And also, I guess that means duck rescue is going to go ahead this season. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. And the and the duck rescuers work very mm. very hard, and it's some really um, heart wrenching work as well because of what they have to see and what they have to go through. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm. always amazed by the reports that come out by wildlife groups about the work that I had to do, the stuff that they found, the situate the conditions that the animals were in. Um, and it just points how much volunteer, often volunteer work goes into addressing stuff that is often done with monetary incentives in mind. Um, hmm. People it, have to volunteer to work against these forces. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. So it's there's a big mm. sort of uh, commercial sort of side to that duck hunting issue, a political side, and there's a whole bunch of invisible activist work that goes into combating the negative ramifications to the animals of, mm. of what goes on during duck hunting season. So, yeah. And as we were talking about before the show, Davida, it's a lot of invisible work that gets done, and it's not really we don't talk about it enough, and we don't really acknowledge the. Um, the massive amount of work and the massive amount of stress that animal rescuers and and, and volunteers who do the, this sort of stuff go through when they undertake this, it, all in the name mm. of compassion and working towards, you know, yeah. a better world for animals. Yeah, I think yeah. in the past people were like, oh, it's it's from this nurturing attitude that mostly women have, the, 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 they wanted to sort of... Uh, I've seen some research that argued against that, saying no, it, this is not, this is altruism. People do this because of altruism, not because, mm. yeah, the majority of the work is done by women in Australia in uh, wildlife care, rescuing care. I think it's across the world as well. Mm. A lot of it's done. Yeah. By women. yeah. So it's always associated with oh, this nurturing, um, uh, nurturing attitude. But no, it's it's altruism. It's seeing people seeing others suffer and wanting to help. Um, and of course, I've spoken to a lot of them, and they're like. You know, this is not about us. This is about you know we we want to um, we want to do this work for the animals. So it's always important to not say, oh, the wildlife carriers are so sad and and, and oh, oh yeah. absolutely, yeah, they, they're yeah. they're really strong. They're really resourceful. Um, it's just an awful situation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this in the um, in the uh, when we talk about bats because they're a, a massive wildlife. Yeah rescue and care work going on there as well. Um, yeah, I also, with the duck hunting, I also wanted to mention that um, Lydia Thorpe uh, posted on Facebook, she was, she said like, how can a state that is invested in treaty be actually killing our totems? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think that's just horrendous. And that, I was actually going to say like from that, because that ties in really well, like this Labour government, like from, you know, it's the same, same Dan Andrews government that's just changed leader. I think it's really important to understand that while this has been the most progressive government we've ever had at a state level, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. And I think that it's especially with what happened with COVID because there's been, you know, Dan Andrews and Labor haters because of that. And it's pushed a lot of people mm. to the far right and alt-right. But then people trying to defend the government, like rightly so for a lot of their COVID choices, which were great. Um but it doesn't mean that they're perfect and it doesn't mean like obviously you still have to be critical of things that need to be critical. And this is a perfect example where just because they are such a progressive government that are doing a state based treaty and that did a lot of really good decisions over over COVID, you know, this this decision about ducks is terrible. And mm. I think that it's really important to, to realize that that especially if you're like 
you know, there, there are parties that do deals with other parties. And I know that um, AJP in the past has often put a lot of their eggs in the labor basket, so to speak, um, in terms of trying to, trying to do deals and trying to preference them ahead of other more left-wing candidates in different or, or um, members of parliament in those places. So just to keep in mind that sometimes you've got to be really careful. Like, obviously, Labor is bigger. They have power, but they aren't going to be as trustworthy as other far-left politicians mm. and parties. Mm. And that we really should be working to have alliances with the far-left because that's where veganism is. That's where veganism should be. That's where And that's where progressive politics is as well. Exactly. I mean, Labor... I mean, we all have different opinions about labor. Mine is not exactly the, the best, but um, yeah, we do. We need to progress our political landscape for everyone, yeah. uh, and that's an important factor. It's not, you know, we, we a single uh, issue party does have a single issue as as its primary driver, but we need to be compassionate to everyone, and yeah. we need to have a very logical and progressive politics in all areas as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. So, yes, disappointing about <laughs> duck season, yeah. but the fight is not over. We need to remind people about that. Uh, so this is something that we can keep the pressure on uh, on our governments for. Uh, duck season is a very contentious issue, and we don't know how the decision went and whether there was it was an easy decision to make or whether mm. there was um, backlash within that, that decision-making. So we need to keep the pressure up, talk to your politicians, mm. talk to people, um, make sure that your voice is heard because the duck season after this is not guaranteed mm. and we do have the power to influence our politicians and um, to bring this so-called sport uh, mm. into non-existence, essentially. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's at least something that we can, you know, we can look at from a positive view from that. But what we wanted to do is maybe move on to mm. uh, the subject of this uh, show today, which is bats so i feel like i'm the the bat reporter coming back absolutely to you, so. i'm fascinated <laughs> yeah. about this actually can i you might be able to answer this question is the bat the only um mammal that actually flies and not glides with powered flight yeah yes bats. okay i thought so yeah, exactly yeah, that's yeah. interesting it's fascinating yeah so um, for for listeners there have been a few bat shows in the past already um i have talked about my research on flying foxes in the past, uh, but today we want to focus on more of like a recent issue that came up with the bats. Yeah, absolutely. But before we do yeah. that, I'm interested to know, and I'm sure that others who haven't heard those previous um, episodes are interested to know, how did you get into uh, bat research as mm. your kind of what as what you wanted to do? Why bats? Bats, yeah. So I've done my PhD research. I've submitted a thesis that's been positively reviewed. So I'm making some final tweaks. Congratulations. And hopefully yeah. Congrats. done very soon. Um, the bats, uh, if you look at the history of bats, so flying foxes specifically here in Australia. So the flying foxes, the big bats. Before you go, actually, that's a really good point. To I'm just going to jump in because it confused me at first and maybe some listeners. Can you talk just really quickly about like flying foxes versus microbats and the, mm, how they yeah. fall under. So oh, yes, in, in yeah. eastern Australia, we southeastern Australia, we have a lot of um, flying foxes. They are big frugivores or, yeah. Um, so they eat fruit? They, they eat fruit, yeah. mostly pollen actually and nectar. I'm sure there's a different term for um, that. But, um, and they are not to be confused with the microbats who are much smaller. They echolocate and they're hunting insects mostly. 
Um, so, so I feel yeah. when most people think of a bat, they're thinking of a flying fox in their head, like the mm. bigger, the, sl- mm. the bigger animal that's maybe the size of a cat. Mm. Um, whereas the micro bats are much smaller. Mm. They're yeah. very small. You hardly yeah. see them at night. And I, had, yeah. I do have another question. So uh, flying foxes don't echolocate, do they? They don't echolocate. No. no. Okay. That's an important thing to yeah. distinguish between them and the micro exactly. bats. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They'll use their sight and smell for to uh, to look for food. So yeah. most of the bats that you see in the sky are the flying foxes, like the ones you can see from a distance in hordes going across at mm, night. Stream, yeah. Streaming across at night. They'll be the flying foxes. They'll be the flying foxes in Melbourne, yeah. yeah. So lots of listeners in Melbourne or in, in different big cities in Eastern Australia, they'll know the flying foxes. They, they'll probably have seen them taking off at night or they see them feeding in the fruit trees in their backyards, um, mm. which is something we can discuss a bit more later mm. as well. But um, yeah. Does Excellent. that answer your question? Yeah. It answers my question. Yeah, yeah. So now you're going back, yeah. so I get back to Mac. Back how you got well, into that. Because yeah. <laughs> we kind of like, what was your motivation to get yes. into bats as an area of research? What, what, like personally for you, what drew you to bats? It is. So this history of the bats in Australia has just been so horrific. People have tried really hard to get rid of the bats. Mm. And as an animal activist, a vegan animal act- activist, I was compelled to bring that vegan animal activ- activ- yeah, vegan animal advocacy perspective to the bats and in, the, in, dis- in addition to that also bring a perspective on settler colonialism to the bats and how how they're how they have been treated since British invasion is mm. very is a part of settler colonialism mm. so I wanted to bring those vegan animal advocacy part that's important to me and um anti-colonial work that's important to me. I wanted to bring those together and focus on bats here in Melbourne, here in here in Australia. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we kind of uh, had a bit of a discussion beforehand and you sent me some research to have a look at, which I, I read through. And at, unfortunately at the moment um, here and also in other states uh, in Australia, we have a crisis um, of the bat population. Do you want to just talk a little mm. bit about that and the negative ramifications of that crisis? Yeah, yeah. So... Listeners may have seen some media attention for this. Um, I know Georgie from N- uh, AJP has raised a lot of attention for this yeah, as well. Which is great. Yeah. Um, so what has happened is what people call a starvation event. And it, and it is as horrible as it sounds. A starvation event in flying foxes. Yeah. The science isn't really out there, I feel. Like, there is not a definition of this is a starvation event. We can definitely say now that this is happening. We have to go by what wildlife carers experience. But So there's no defined triggers as such as, like, when the when, numbers No, there's not a, a checklist. Yeah. Not yet. No. I think it's coming, but it's not yet. But it's basically, more of a vibe. Yeah. From, it's yeah. an experience that a lot of people in wildlife rescue and care have. Um, they see the symptoms of it. So a starvation event... If we look at a few weeks back, we've had a really heavy summer rains. Mm. Mm, and yes. with the flying foxes, you have to keep in mind that they love nectar and pollen. Oh, so they're known yeah. as fruit bats, but especially the grey-headed flying foxes that we have here in Melbourne, they are very interested in nectar and pollen of mm. eucalypt species, um, other species. And they're really important long-range pollinators because of that because mm, they bring pollen. Yeah, yeah incredible impact of, on the ecosystem so with these heavy summer rains it's likely that a lot of their food resources have just flushed away mm. so they've washed out of the flowers the mm-hmm. pollen and the nectar yeah 
therefore the food, that sort of food is not available. That is not to available bats. to them. Yeah. yeah. And in a normal, what is in a healthy ecosystem, there might have been other places where they could have gone to, but in settler colonial Australia, their habitat is under pressure from so many different directions. Well, and the habitat that would normally produce their food mm, yeah. has been drastically reduced. And it's shrunk, and so the resources are not as available. Yeah, yeah mm. those alternate food sources. Exactly. Yeah. And with flying fox, you also have to keep in mind they're, for example, another, they love figs. So uh-huh. if you've been in Brisbane, you've got the Morton Bay figs. We've got a few yes. of them here as well. Yeah. Massive fig trees. Um, so that's the fruits that they love as well. Mm-hmm. But their food resources are... I think I'm not I'm not an expert on this particular part, but their food resources are very um, they bloom and flower very infrequently and Mm. very unpredictably. So it has happened in the past that suddenly this massive flowering event of some kind of tree in, I think, Bateman's Bay attracted all of the great, all of the flying foxes to the yeah, area, you know, right. that was their equivalent of bringing them so milkshake brings the boys to the yards. But yeah, <laughs> so wow. massive, yeah. all of the flying foxes flocked. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but they all went <laughs> to Bateman's Bay. And is that from interstate as well? Like, yeah, are they, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they were traveling large distances. They always travel large distances. How did they yeah. know? <laughs> they know they have their, they have their mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I know this is a little bit of a side trail, but a side because, quest. because yes. you uh, brought it up just then or it came up. When you say long range pollinators and things like what's the average distance that they'll travel in a night and what's the average sort of distances that they cover seasonally? Oh, seasonally, they go from all the way. They can go from like northern or I think northern New South Wales, mid Queensland to Adelaide. That's where they travel through. They have like a network That's of routes. And there's different flying fox species. I'm talking about the grey headed flying foxes, but they have this massive network of roosts where they daytime camps for little them. Little stops along the way. Little stops all throughout their range. And they're constantly <coughs> traveling between those network but between those roofs yeah, yeah exactly so essentially um what you're saying is the um the eastern seaboard mm-hmm. population of flying foxes is essentially the same it's thing all the same. yeah because yeah. we are getting the new south wales ones the brisbane ones they're getting exactly. ours they're getting the south australian yeah. ones yeah so it's really not something that's defined by state borders nope. and state policies and all of exactly. that sort of stuff it is something that we need to do a coordinated effort again yeah. like against and that's what a lot of, of ecologists conservationists are rallying for they want a consistent approach in policy mm. and that has gotten some um some improvement i think maybe but not too sure but yeah it's a difficult like this is basically flying foxes are out of our control people have mm. tried really hard to control them they're out of our control as are other animals we need to be able to respond to that more um uh, flexibly and yeah. still on the distance thing so oh, yeah, you wanted to for, hear numbers <laughs> well, well no just yeah. i guess to give people an idea like bats that they see locally on any given night mm. how far are they traveling roughly each oh, night. they can, for example, from around Yarraband Park where there's this big important colony. big yes, colony, yeah. they can travel about 40 kilometers in a night. That's on average, maybe. Wow. There have been cases people have tracked, satellite tracked individual flying foxes who flew 100 kilometers on a night. Wow. So wow. there's really... Is mm. that just one way and back or is that total distance? Like, so if they travel 40 k's, is that 20 k's out, 20 k's back? Yeah, I'm not too sure. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. But either <laughs> yes. way, it's somewhere between 40 and 100. So it sort of covers both. It can, it, yeah. Big numbers. Probably also yeah. less. I mean, these are averages or 
exceptional circumstances yeah, yeah. or extremes but yeah so they travel a lot they go far they travel wide and far yeah so with those food resources they can go to different places really really quickly mm. and because they flower so infrequently unpredictably where their food is that's where they'll be yeah so mm. there's this in unpredictable movements yeah and it's also coming into and this will kind of get we will get we'll touch on this a little bit later it's coming it's coming to that point where we have taken over so much of their environment in our built cities mm. we've taken away their the you know their pollen trees and their fruit trees etc and we've built these cities and they have to come into these city areas which obviously there is a bit of you know that there, there, there is this contentiousness between humans and bats because, you know, bats will hang on a tree and they'll poo on the, the mm. ground and all that sort of stuff. And so with this desperation, this, this mm, uh, starvation, starvation crisis, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that they're coming into areas that they may not have come into before. Or they're moving more into into sort of more heavily populated areas mm. uh, and, and, and causing issues there and also they don't want to be there. Um, but is well, that the, the bats have been really – and whenever I say – bats i mean flying foxes and flying foxes gray-headed flying foxes i feel mm. like i have to make that disclaimer because there's several yes um but yeah they are pretty they have been pretty good in cities i mean mm. there's quite a big attraction for them in cities there's year-round often year-round food resources what more water um but there's also more harm in cities which we can yeah. touch upon um, absolutely so they may want to be in city like every major city in the east on the eastern seaboard has flying fox roosts so yeah. they're very in a way very successful in urban inhabitation but also run into so many different troubles yeah it's like mm. the cities tick all the boxes of things that they need but mm -hmm. it also presents these extra threats that aren't yep. always there and they they, they're attracted to what they need, but then they have yeah. to deal with the threats, yeah. which is... Yeah, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. So with the... Um, I just want to say on the starvation event that has been happening, because they have lost a lot of their food resources, one of the things that wildlife carers see um, is an increase in really malnourished bats into care, but also really malnourished pups. Mm. So yes. what happens when... so. Flying foxes are mammals, they lactate, they carry one pup with them for several months. Um, and the mums don't have enough milk to feed their pups. which Because, can, of, because they're starving. They're starving, yeah. yeah. So they stop lactating. And that's when they'll abandon their pups. Mm. And what can also happen because of these urban threats that we just discussed, the things that they encounter in cities, um, their mums might not even come back to the pups because they're harmed yeah. due to urban infrastructure stuck so in a net mm. stuck something. in a net barbed wire power lines we can discuss mm. maybe that in the next segment or Absolutely. whenever i think we yeah. need to probably head to a, a song now yeah but yeah we need to talk about this so maybe the next segment we can actually talk about these negative ramifications yeah exactly that we've been talking yeah. about now did you want to introduce our uh first song yeah let's go for um kian catch the night like that was a song that came out last year i love it very bat related <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Gonna go catch the night Chasing that feeling You and me, it's alright The same idea You're keeping me in a time We're in and out of We're in and out 
Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference, happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos, and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. No more whispering in our gonna rise up to break these chains and stop these killing games. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne, to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager TJ Hickey. Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday, at the State Library. Ischia Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Oh, hello. Uh, well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. This is your bat reporter speaking, Davita Coronel, <laughs> who has, been, has the incredible experience of being a guest um, with um, the host Trev and Megan. So yeah, well, you just heard Catch the Night by Kian. Excellent. And I just threw Davita back into a hosting role. <laughs> yeah, yeah we actually just, just do, do that. Yeah, <laughs> we, we do want to point out that Davita was um, actually a host of the show uh, before she got involved in her PhD and got a bit too busy. So, mm. and also I'd like to mention that she is the president of the Friends um, of Bats 
in bush care. Is that right? Friends of Bats and Bush Care in yes. Yarraban Park. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. So you're definitely involved in all aspects, all fingers in the pie mm. in different areas. And there's fantastic. been, because of this Reason event, the Starvation event and the pop crisis, there's been a lot of requests for talks and um, workshops on this sort of, on this, what is happening and, and educational talks on pets. Um, so it is nice to see that people, people are really interested. People want to hear what they can do, how they can help. There's been this massive, uh, I've seen posts by wildlife groups, wildlife rescuers who've been given many donations. We've re- received a oh, lot of donations. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. The mm. People come to get, people uh, show up. <laughs> And that's a really good thing about a crisis, you know. <laughs> and it, it, it is something that actually silver brings it, the silver lining about the crisis, exactly. And we were talking before the break about um, the ramifications of this starvation crisis that's currently going on. Do you yeah. want to maybe start elaborating on that and whether it's happened before and yeah. you know, that sort of stuff? So starvation events, um, which people call it a starvation event and a pop abandonment event. Mm. Um, because of the you know nutri- nutritional stress that the mothers experience and other also adult pets, they li- they can't take care of their um, dependents anymore. So sad. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of you. You can walking around the colony, you might see a lot of dead pups. Uh, dead, yeah, dead pups. Um, dead. You dead. Mean? Yeah. Dead. Yeah. dead. Yeah. That's my accent coming in there. <laughs> dead pups. It is quite sad. Um, it there has been there have been starvation events in the past. For example, the last confirmed starvation event was in during the Black Summer bushfires when there was like a period of droughts that led to massive deaths among the bats, and that after the droughts, then came the extreme temperatures, which mm. m- maybe we'll touch on that as well. For flying foxes, can cause massive deaths as well they are really susceptible to heat stroke and really severe heat stroke that they just dropped that from the trees in the tens of thousands it's really sad as well and that, were, that was so they actually suffered that coming off the back of a starvation exactly event. so it was yeah. this disastrous coming together of events in the summer 2019-2020 droughts led to deaths extreme temperatures led to deaths and then um, bushfires led to even less habitats and then there were also again really heavy rains that flushed away the resources so this is tens of thousands dying in a single season yeah i think scientists have sort of conservatively estimated that this led to 70 at least seventy thousand dead bats oh my gosh it's a perfect storm of disaster yeah Yeah. and then there were at least two thousand abandoned pups on top of that as well um yeah i think that was the reason numbers that i heard um yeah so that was but again what you see with all of these star- with with these events in the past what you've seen is that it's often wildlife carers who then say they're the first to raise the alarms they're saying hey mm. we're finding this increase there's this massive increase in numbers of pups that need to be rescued. So they're the first ones that actually notice this issue. Exactly. And they're the ones that we maybe should be taking notice of and talking to about what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's actually scientists who then, based on those reports by wildlife carers mm. and the condition of those bats that come into care, have said, oh, they were able to link known periods of nutritional stress with the... Um, Wildlife Care's reports on number of pups and the weight of those pups and have been able Mm. to link 
this is an important indicator. What the yeah. wildlife wildlife carers reports are important indicators of what is happening. Yeah. So the rescuers are doing things like they're taking the bat in, they're mm. assessing the relative health of the bat, they're, they're weighing the bat, and they're also assessing the numbers of bats that come in. So this is actually quite valuable raw data that goes into mm. then the scientific research and it analysing mm-hmm. what's going on. So that no, the I, rescuers, also, yeah. yeah. On on that note, I've I've in my thesis I've depended on the records by Wildlife Victoria. They have this. Em- wildlife emergency response maybe listeners have ever used it if they see an injured animal they can call that hotline and then wildlife victoria can send out a rescuer i've used those records to say something about what happens in melbourne to flying foxes Mm. and how much of it has happened so those those wildlife those experience by carers are really important indicators it's not only just that they're caring for the animals they're providing valuable research to scientists who can then look at long-term issues mm-hmm. and, and predictions yeah, exactly i'm not i was yeah. going to say this tell me if i'm wrong but it sounds like also that this means that the the public awareness might be a bit delayed because it goes through that sort of you know chain and mm. i don't think a lot of people are really keyed in or tapped into what the wildlife carers are reporting and there might be a bit of a delay or a lag mm. for that to actually get to the public and get and to, to the media as well yeah and through to the, the media, media and yeah. everything like that because they'll probably only hear about it once the scientists have finished collecting the data and they put out a report or something which is probably too late to act on it well the wildlife the like the recent events um there was wildlife carers and so shelters, the they, they, they sound the alarm and people take that up. Like that leads well, to more good. attention. Yeah, yeah. And that's because there's been that's quite good. a bit of media coverage yeah. of this particular event. I've yeah. noticed quite a few videos um, and articles on it. So exactly. I think as soon as it gets into the media and it hits, the public becomes aware and that's when perhaps the research, the, the wildlife rescuers can get that support and that mm. help. It seems like a, a pleasant surprise. I've never noticed really any alarms before coming through media, at least in recent years or in a decade or so about bats so i'm yeah it is interesting maybe there has been a change in attitude a little bit of a change i mean we i used to um you know listen to this sort of stuff years ago and i did notice that the majority of that sort of stuff bat things from my memory were quite negative because it was talking about neighbors talking about the impact of Mm. bat guano on their cars or their Mm -hmm. lawns or something like that and how they're disease carriers and pests and all that sort of stuff but this destroying is, the fruit. The yeah, people. exactly. You know, they're eating our our fruit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just seem to notice that in this recent lot of reportage, it doesn't seem to. I mean, to me, it's more neutral. It's not positive, but it's neutral. It's not that that sort of you know casting the flying foxes yeah. as these evil things that shit all over the place and eat mm. our food kind of thing. It also makes me yeah. worry that this is going to be a really bad event for it to be at a level where people mm. are listening to the wildlife carers and they've been so, you know, sounding such an alarm. If, if normally, because yeah. seasonality, like I've known through Davida that every year over summer there are a big um, death events because of heat or because of other, like, you know, It hasn't starvation. happened in the past years, but yeah, extreme. Like today we're meeting on a day where it's, 37 degrees it's going to be 37 people degrees, are yeah. on edge today people are um yeah volunteer wildlife carers have been advocating can the park be closed where the bats are roosting so that you know we we disturb them less and they can seek shelter more easily so yeah mm. um it today is is like a could be potentially an extreme heat event but might not be because it's only one day um yeah but yeah it it has happened several years ago like the especially again the bushfires those extreme mm. heats events yeah that's problematic 
And um, we talked a bit about um, the impact of these starvation events on the rescuers and uh, mm. the, the animal activists who are caring for these bats. Did you want to go into that a little bit yeah. and how that is, you know, that's such a stressful thing and, and how perhaps they're over, they're under-resourced and over-stressed so that the actual mm. support system these bats have isn't adequate enough, essentially? Yeah, it is. To give you an idea of the type of... So what carers do when they find abandoned pups, they hand raise them to then be released in the colony when they're older and they can follow the adults. Um, so we, um, and that is something that the Friends of Bats and Bush Carrier Urban Park do, does. They, they help that soft release program of orphaned pups. They go through this period in, a, in an enclosure where they spend lots of time with other pups together after being hand raised, and then they'll be released to the roost. Um, and that enclosure is still sort of in the area where other other bats are. Bats yeah, are exactly. so they can sort of get used to being around bats. Yeah. So that is a that is a in the best of times that is quite an an, an res- yeah requires a lot of effort, mm. a lot of work by different volunteers to get that going because every day bats need to be fed fruits, um, and um, to give you to give listeners an idea, this year we're preparing to release at least four hundred. Wow. The previous two years have been 92 and 62. Oh my Whoa. gosh. So it is a significant amount more. It is yeah. incredibly. And this is this is an underestimation because what happens when it gets to this level, carers don't have the ac- accommodation mm. to take in more bats. So they have to at one point make decisions. Well, which bats are we going to rescue? Which mm. pups are we going to take mm. in? Because we can't take. They they try a lot. <laughs> they of really course, try. they just don't have the resources. They're so um, overworked yeah. You need and specific. Yeah, exactly. There need to be more yeah. space for them. They need they need to have space to fly as well. Um, Handlers need to be vaccinated. Handlers need to be vaccinated, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we probably should uh, touch on the topic of food as well Mm. because they do go through a lot of food and fruit and there's been some issues um, in that as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, probably we should go to a break. Let's have a quick break. Yeah, we'll head for a break and then we can come back and talk about that issue. Yeah. Yeah. Which was the second song? Oh, yeah, the second song. Um, Another song by an author, an artist I love, um, Eternity by Mikaisha. Not a drop in the ocean I'm the river that flows like a great stampede I'm history unfolding I'm a moment in time that will not repeat Can't you hear it? Hearing my soul inside the sound I'm taking higher ground I sing for better days I sing for my people And my people breathe through me Ten thousand years just to get to me I am the foundation Of all that has been and all that will be
Creating space for women and gender diverse people to thrive, the Queen Victoria Women's Centre is now taking applications for their inaugural Feminist Historian in Residence. Over 12 months, revisit their historical records to uncover fresh stories and perspectives. The centre encourages proposals that challenge their history from an intersectional viewpoint and grapple with the complexities of colonisation. To apply, head to qvwc.org.au, closing Friday, February 16th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse, dynamic and radical radio station. Nominations are due by Wednesday the 14th of February at 5pm. For more information, contact the 3CR station manager on 03 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash people. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard Eternity by Mikaisha. Excellent. Thank you for that back announcement. <laughs> Getting right back into the hosting. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're currently talking to Davita Coronel, who is a bat researcher and animal activist all about bats mm-hmm. and what's happening to them. Um, we left uh, on that break. We were talking about the the problems faced by rescuers with resources yeah. and time management, yeah. etc. Yeah. So do you want to um, elaborate a little bit more on that? Mm, yeah. So to... As I mentioned, we're prepared, we're soft releasing over 400 pups, which is significantly, significantly more, than, more than last season. Yeah. yeah. So to sort of take you through what what is all required for that, um, pups there will be like 10 groups of 40 pups going through the the process in the cage. Like they'll 40 pups will spend um, 10 days in the enclosure. Every day they need to be fed fruit. So it. And, yeah. and this enclosure, just so people don't know, it's at the yeah. Yarra Bend yeah. Park Colony yeah. and it's an open cage so that they can see the other yeah. bats and the other bats ah. can see yeah. them. Yeah. So it's sort of like they're in their natural environment in a way, yeah. but yeah. just in a, in a cage separating. An acclimation sort of. Yeah. Uh, slowly getting used to the sounds of the colony and yeah. um, maybe getting some visitors at night. So yeah, while they're in that in that um, enclosure, they'll have a, gr- a rota- rotating group of volunteers who every afternoon will cut up several kilos of, f- of fruit <laughs> um, and then hang that up for them in the enclosure. And in the morning, someone will, uh, other volunteers will come and pick up the r- remnants of what they have left and clean up the, clean up the supplies. And that happens, that need- is a daily thing that needs to happen between now and May end of May. Wow. So that is quite yeah. labor intensive. It is labor intensive and an additional complication is that once the first group of pups is released, we'll be hanging up food outside of the enclosure to support feed them. Mm. And granted possums and rainbow lorikeets <laughs> enjoy those <laughs> fruits as well, but it's this idea that the pups have some place to come back to if they if they're struggling. Struggling. Yeah, so it's yeah. some place they know that they can get fruit. So and essentially then. the work is doubled because you're not only yes. look, uh, feeding the pups in the enclosure, you're yes. feeding the newly released pups outside exactly. of the enclosure and as well. Every 10 days when a new group goes outside those 
amounts will increase. So we'll mm. have a massive amount for fruits to be cut outside and then every day inside fruits as well. And the idea is gradually those pups on the outside will start finding other external yep. food supplies. That is the idea. But it's just there as a crutch in case yep. they do need the food. And those, they, they will eventually diminish those um, outside fruits. The yeah. supplies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've been, we're, we're really in need of, of large amounts of fruits. And luckily, well... A few steps back, um, we had a major donor of fruit, as was in the news, has pulled out. So we were short of oh. like hundreds of kilos of fruit every week. Mm. Um, but since then, it's also because Georgie has, has sort of rallied some. So Georgie um, Purcell from Georgie, AJP yeah, yeah. actually mm. put the call out. She yeah. put, she she was quite, um, yeah, she, she put the call out. There's been some media attention for it. Wildlife carers and rescuers have shared all the stuff that they might need to sort of support this. Um, and we've had wonderful donations um, and people um, adding their support to the Flying Foxes. Yeah. So um, it's looking like it's going well right now. Um, but wildlife carers might still need fuel vouchers or other supports or fruits directly delivered to them. If there's if there's someone near you that you know is caring for for. Um, for f flying foxes but yeah we can maybe get mm. into that a we'll bit we'll definitely later. get into yeah. how people can help a little bit later yeah. absolutely because yeah. that's definitely something that we need to talk yeah. about yeah, yeah. But yeah. I was gonna, just on that on a bigger picture it looks like maybe this is a bit of a wave of you know success or support in advocacy for bats in mm. general that hopefully could be ridden a little bit to try and increase just general awareness and mm. maybe pushing a bit further some of the the bat issues that are important in you know public discourse at the moment like hopefully as another sort of silver lining like this seems to be a bit of it's getting a bit of mm. traction which is mm. great people are, are looking to support and people are talking about it maybe more so than previous years and maybe that can be used yeah. as a springboard to try and yeah. you know really elevate these issues and change yeah. the dialogue on bats as well and change yeah. the perception of bats in the community mm, yeah and um the thing one of the things that i've noted in my research is that we've talked about the pressure on the food resources for bats. Negative attitudes about bats add to deaths in urban areas. Mm. For example, one of the things that I've seen come across a few reports on flying foxes in cities, for example, people who call Wildlife Victoria about a, f a bat visiting their backyard, they have said things like this. They have said a few few of these things like this, this they have said um, my neighbor thinks we're all going to get hendra disease so we should take away this fruit this fruit tree um, I, I'm afraid to park my car under that tree so I'm going to take this fruit tree away <laughs> stuff mm -hmm. like that um, they're making too much of a mess oh uh, what can I do about that and then someone says well this is just what they do. Oh, well, okay, in that case, I'll just take away the fruit tree. Which is <laughs> taking away <laughs> their resource. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. which makes the, the, the problem worse. Exactly. And this is the kind of thing that we were talking about before where we have paved over the cities. You know, we've paved over these natural environments where these wild animals, you know, ha obtain their resources, their, their food, their mating areas, their living areas. And then we expect that... Um, they're not going to come into our areas, the, our areas in inverted <laughs> commas, because, you know, you, you stay in the wild, we'll stay in the cities, mm. but the cities will grow ever larger, we'll take over your wild spaces and don't you dare come into our spaces because you're an inconvenience. Mm. Um, 
And this is the kind of thing that I would love, like I would like to have an entire show on this, you know, the whole idea of we need to understand that wild animals will be in city spaces mm. and how do we – we were talking about long-term policies. Mm. In fact, actually, can we get onto that? The long-term – like you were saying that needs to be long-term political and policy changes that need to occur – um, it's not just obviously the, the wildlife rescuers who are sort of, you know, they're, they're just they're bearing the brunt of this. Yeah, they're yeah. treating the, the symptoms of the harmful yes. infrastructures, but we're, we're not addressing the cause mm. of, of the issue. And that is that a lot of us have really bad relationships to other, with other animals. We don't know how to live with them mm. respectfully, harmoniously. Um, and that is not just something that is located in an individual that's not just ideas that are in an individual p- person. This is expressed in how we organize our society. Yes. This is expressed yeah. in how we, how we build cities, mm. how we build roads. Um, for example, take another issue that really impacts flying foxes in cities. That is power lines. They can get electrocuted on power lines. And it has occurred several times that power lines run through the feeding trees of flying foxes Mm. so that while they're feeding they are electrocuted so people have found flying foxes on the street under a tree as if they're suddenly just dropped dead which is exactly what happened because they've been Mm. electrocuted and that that says something about how our infrastructures how we are used to yeah. There's no regard for the animal. Mm. Yeah. There's no policy or infrastructure alteration to take into account the welfare and the and the right of the animal to yeah. share this environment with us. It's mm-hmm. like this was the cheapest and easiest way to serve humans mm. for what they need with power lines mm-hmm. and who cares the animals just have to deal with it and if yeah. they die if they you know if it affects them yeah. negatively too bad. we it's don't our care environment. too bad cuz mm-hmm. yeah. you know running power lines underground is an option that is often a lot better um there's other ways that yeah they could divert around fruit trees or just plant more fruit trees in that's, other places that's the thing like it all comes down to their food availability yeah and and not only food availability but also just shelter mm. i mean don't you just look at a lawn and think this could be so great. Who who does a lawn benefit? Who it does, doesn't? Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of insects and underground happening. I'm sure it's really good. Actually, with lawns, not so much. Not so much. Oh. Uh, if you have a more diverse um, uh, f- flora scape, mm. you actually have a de- more diverse insect scape. So a monoculture of a lawn yeah. has a very low number of different yeah. types of insects on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah, because like looking at those sort of stretches of just a piece of grass in people's backyards in parks nature strips nature strips Mm. we can do this so much differently yeah we can do this differently in our backyards we can do this differently in our front yards we could and where we live we've seen examples like davida and i when we've taken dogs on a walk and we'll see like some nature strips have been developed i'm not sure why or how they're chosen or if there's permission needed or what but they get developed into these beautiful like mini gardens Mm -hmm. that are going you know one meter two meter tall with multi sort of levels Mm. of of different plant growth in different ways and as you say like it it just provides so much more for other animals and insects and it provides a lot more Mm. shade and cooling for for animals that need to go under those sort of multi-story layers Mm -hmm. of of plants especially on hot days yeah and in a bigger picture you could even mention like i know that that's an issue for the bats in yarraben park is the lack of multi-story cover Mm. 
Yeah. For heat so credits. what you often see in your urban park as well is that there's like ovals and then there's lawns and then there's a few trees. Those trees have canopy cover, very easy to manage, but it's not enough. They're normally a single layer. Mm. That is of overstory. Canopy. You want mid-story. You want you know diverse mm. ground cover. That takes a lot of work, mm. but the result is so beautiful. And 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 bats really depend on cool areas where they can retreat to during um, during extreme heat. But also other animals. You know, exactly. have you seen? Have it you seen? Is, yeah. Have you seen that picture of a deer on a lawn? taking shelter under a single umbrella yeah like that's just heartbreaking is it mm. yeah. and people are so surprised like yeah people are like oh if pets have enough food to them available then there'll be less disease risks then they'll mm. transmit less disease so healthy pets means healthy humans mm. and you think that is that mm. absolutely why is that such a surprise to people yeah i know yeah. healthy healthy ecosystems yeah. equal healthy environment for humans as well yeah so we've talked about long-term um you know policy things that we need to do you know the, the alteration Different of our cityscapes yeah. etc yeah. now what we want to do is talk about how an individual can help because we would love to hear from you i mean how can our average listener help the bats in, mm. in what ways yeah well if you want to get involved with bat volunteer work it's always great if we have vaccinated volunteers. Pe- volunteers, and that's vaccination against lysavirus, against right? Australian yes. bat lysavirus. Um, and so you can help with fruit cutting and hanging it up in the enclosure. Maybe it's a bit too late for this season, but next season or the years after that, mm. um, that's always an incredible help. Um, if you wanna, yeah, you can work in your direct ar- surroundings about the stuff that we talked about: planting, making more. Yeah, um, complex ecosystems basically, and donations yeah. Don- to yeah, shelters. Yeah, you can donate. You can donate to shelters. I think there's a few people who have put out a f- a f- on Facebook and social media. Can you give us some names of places? Yeah, that if you look that? at Fly by Night Bat Clinic and uh, Microbats in Melbourne, mm. they both care for flying foxes. Um, they have put a call out for stuff that they could really use. And, um, so rather so than just money, people can donate other things yep. to yep. their wish list. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And we can d- make a difference as individuals, um, and we can support the the frontline rescuers who yep. are just so overburdened. Absolutely. Just by helping them with what they need. Yeah. yeah. We are out of time. We've got about thirty seconds we to go. Are. So flew thanks by. so much. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. It did fly by. fly by, and thank you so much for coming here. It's My always pleasure. a pleasure to to listen to you talk about bats. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the great hosting. Yes. Well, coming up next is Rotations with some music to take you through this hot Sunday afternoon. But this last song, Davida, is... Oh, yeah. Uh, Alice Sky, Ruriga Jalin. So 
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.